the longest war in history. This is part two of this mini-series within the book of Ephesians. I want you to open up over to Ephesians chapter 6. And last week we talked about some general truths having to do with this longest war in history, what it was about, what it is for. I'll give that briefly in review today. won't spend a lot of time on it. If you want more detailed explanation, go back and hear last week's message. It's all over the internet in different places, and so you can get that. But here in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren... So Paul is writing to Christians... Here, he's writing to the saints at Ephesus. These were believers in Christ. And he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the strategies, the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Two times in these verses does he say, put on the whole armor of God. We're going to see why he says that today as we launch into these next verses, why the whole armor of God is so important. The Christian life And the warfare that we are engaged in is a serious one. It is for, the Bible tells us very clearly, it is for the souls of men. That is what the battle is for. God wants us to be fully equipped and ready for the battle ahead. You might say, well, I really don't want to fight. Okay, well, you are either a good or bad soldier, but you are a soldier if you're a Christian. You are a soldier in God's army. God is not wanting us to fight in the sense of being a mean person. That's not the fight. Many times we think in human terms, okay? No, there's a spiritual war that he is concerned with, and we are in that. God wants us to be fully equipped and ready for battle. Now listen, only the believer who has surrendered as a believer, only a believer who has surrendered his life to the Lord and who walks in obedience will ultimately succeed in living life as God wants him to live. There's no playing games with this. God is very serious about this. And really what this is, this whole idea of putting on the whole armor of God and spiritual warfare, folks, it is a call to biblical discipleship. Now, being a disciple and being saved are not the same. A saved person is simply one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their payment for sin. We all need a payment for sin. Jesus came, went to the cross, made the payment for sin on the cross, was buried and rose three days later. And he says, if you put your faith in him, if you believe in him that he did that for you, he gives you as a gift everlasting life. You become a Christian that moment. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. You have everlasting life. You're a Christian forever. He's the one who keeps you saved. This is important now to understand. When you trust Christ, you are no longer your own. You are the possession of God. And he is the one who has pledged to keep you saved. And so the way you live your life, may there be success or failure or something in between, like is the case for most of us, that doesn't change the fact that I am God's possession and he is not letting me go. 
So that's why once you're saved, you're always saved is a true Bible truth. You can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But God wants us to understand that he wants us to be serious-minded about this war that we are in. You see, Satan and his demons are looking for areas of weakness where they can come into our lives. I believe they watch us. I believe they study us. And they look at areas where we are weak. They look at areas where we are more prone to temptation than others. And they will go after us in those areas because they want us to fail. They want us to fall. They want us to sin. They want us to be enslaved so that they can hinder us from accomplishing the ministry that God has for us. Remember, here's the ministry. Anything to keep us from living for Jesus Christ and the gospel. Anything. And so he's working hard to do that. Satan's plan is to keep mankind lost and blind to the gospel. Now, we talked about this last week. How does Satan blind the world? He uses lies. He is the father of lies. He uses lies of all kind. Remember, he's the master deceiver. So how does he do it? Well, we saw this last time. One, by giving counterfeit gospels, counterfeit plans of salvation through religion. A very popular one today is what's called lordship salvation or discipleship salvation. It sounds good, but remember, he deals in counterfeits. And so whatever is closest to the real thing, you can bet that Satan is really investing in that because he's wanting to deceive believers. And so people will say, Oh, no, I know Jesus Christ is necessary to get me to heaven, but I don't believe he's enough. Lordship salvation preaches you not only have to trust Christ as Savior, but you also have to follow him as Lord if you want to get to heaven. Or they'll say this, following is not a requirement, but if you're really saved, you automatically will. So then it's a requirement. What if I don't? Then they'll say, well, you were never saved. They love to use the term, you had a head belief, not a heart belief. By the way, that's a dumb statement. It's not biblical in any way. It sounds religious, but it's not biblical. So Satan gives counterfeit gospels through religion. What does the Bible say? Well, you're in Ephesians. Look at chapter 2. It says this in verses 8 and 9. That's why we have them up here. This is bedrock for our church. This is foundational truth. What's the Bible say? Here's how you go to heaven. For by grace are you saved. Now, let's stop right there. Grace is God's unmerited favor and kindness towards us. That is how we're saved, is by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's unmerited favor is poured out on you, and he saves you by that, God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not your performance. It is the gift of God. Gifts cost us nothing, but they cost the giver everything. For by grace you say through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See where it says that not of yourselves? That is further defined, that is further explained in the next verse where it says not of works. It's not of yourselves, therefore the best you can offer is your works, and it's not of works because it's not of you. You're not saved of yourself. You're saved by what Christ did for you. You put your faith in him that he made the payment for your sin so you don't have to. 
And when you trust in him, the payment Jesus made is put to your account. You go to heaven on what Christ has done for you. You don't go to heaven on your own merit. You go to heaven on his merit. Now, Satan doesn't want people to understand what I just told you. Another way is by getting Christians to present a false gospel through bad terminology. People get saved, they get excited, and then Satan leads them off. You know, they they leave a church that's doctrinally sound, that's doctrinally clear, and Satan leads them off into a church that is using false terminology. And all it does is mix people up and produce false converts. People who are religious, people who buy Bibles, people who go to church, people who are sincere, but many who have never trusted Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. You ask them, you know you're going to heaven? I believe I am. How? I gave my life to Christ. That is something a Christian does, not a lost person. Giving your life to Christ is an act of service. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is simply believing, trusting either someone or something, to be true to their word. Another way he does it is by getting Christians to ruin their testimonies through carnal, wicked living. And you know what, folks? That is something we're going to be looking at here in just a few minutes. Another way he does it is by getting believers to adopt false priorities in their lives. Remember, we only have 24 hours in a day, each and every one of us. We don't know how long we're going to live. We're like a candle that's been lit. And once that candle is lit, that candle starts burning down, and it's just a matter of time before that candle is all the way burnt out. That's my life, and that's your life. You might say, well, everybody's got the same length candle, right? No. No. Listen, our lives are in God's hands. God is the one who determines how long we are going to live might say, no, no, that's in my hand. I've got a special exercise machine. You know, I go to the gym five times a week. I only eat oatmeal, you know, or tree bark or berries or whatever. And therefore, I am, I've, got, I've got this under control. No, friend, you may be able to control the condition of your body, but you don't control how long you're going to live. See, Satan wants you to be tricked into this, though. And so we give ourselves, you know, what does the Bible say? Exercise is good. Bodily exercise profits little, some. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Spend more time on your spiritual life. Spend more time on fulfilling God's mission for your life. Now, anything Satan can do to get us away from God's plan, God's word, God's priorities, he will do that in the life of the Christian. So how do we stand and be successful soldiers for Christ? We are going to talk about the armor of God, and it is by putting on these seven pieces of spiritual armor. Most people say there's six. I believe there's seven. Let me say this. There's a lot of disagreement and application, and I'm not saying uh, necessarily wrong. I think God has given us these verses and these words and these descriptions so that we will spend the time on them and think about them. And the very fact that there, people get different things from these verses, that's not a, necessarily a bad thing, okay? What it means is that we are challenged to spend time thinking and meditating on this. And that's what God wants. 
That's what God wants. Did you know God on purpose has given us his word and there are certain concepts that are harder to understand than others? You might say, well, why does he do that? So we have to study. That's why. So we have to invest the time into it. I believe there are seven pieces. I include prayer as one of the weapons. And who could ever deny that? So let's look at it. Ephesians 6 verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now listen very carefully today as we go through this. Verse 14 speaks of the mindset that comes from the Lord himself. He says, stand, by the way. This is a command. This is written in the imperative. Okay, this is not a suggestion. This is not if you feel like it. No, God is saying, listen, you need to stand. As a believer, you need to stand. It is based on this issue of having your loins girt about with truth. Okay, it is based on the Lord's character and his word. Keep in mind that all of these pieces that we're looking at are important characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ. In other words, folks, here's what I'm saying on the front end of this today. This is no selective mindset. That's not the way that God sees the armor. Now, you got that little handout today of the soldier, okay? And you notice he has all those different things that he has on. Why? Because all of them are necessary. If we are going to be good soldiers, we need to be properly equipped, properly ready for battle. So all of these are important. No peace is optional. So let's go through them. The first one is this, having your loins or your waist girt about with truth, wrapped with truth. Okay, now people will say, well, obviously the truth means the word of God. Now listen carefully today. This is my perspective on it, but I do believe it's the right one. The truth here is not the word of God itself. It's the character that is produced by the word of God. Why do I say that? Because later on it talks about the sword of the Spirit. Having your loins girt about with truth, this idea of girt about or wrapped with truth, it's a picture of a belt, a type of belt that went around the individual. It was of leather. It was studded with metal plates. The soldier would hang his weapons and other tools on it. Now when you look at verse 14, it says, having your loins girt about with truth, we are to be wrapped around with truth. Do you see it? We're to be wrapped around with truth. Everything hangs on it. The focus here in this verse is on godly character. Remember that another piece of armor, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is talked about later on in these verses. Here in verse 14, it is a commitment to a biblical life based on scripture. It's talking about the character of the believer. Now, this is very important. Jesus said, hold your place. Look with me to John 17. I want you to see this in your Bible. You might say, well, isn't the Bible the truth, the word of truth? Yes, it is. It is the word of truth. That is absolutely true. But I got a question for you this morning. What produces godly, truthful character? It's the word of God that produces it. But the word of God is not an end in itself. The word of God, God has given it to us and preserved it for us to where we can take it, we can apply it to life, 
And we can have lives that are truthful. In other words, let me give you another word for that, lives of integrity. Lives of integrity. It's interesting, Jesus said, sanctify, he's talking about his disciples praying to the Father, he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. But we look at that verse and all we see is thy word is truth. But that's not the point of what he was saying. What was he saying? Father, sanctify them through thy truth. He was concerned about their Christian growth as believers. He was concerned about them moving on and growing and maturing and being effective as believers, being sanctified more and more set apart to him through the word of God. And as we apply the word of God, and folks, for lack of a better term, as we apply the word of God on a regular basis, you know what it does? It has a cleansing effect and it has a purifying and refining effect in our lives to where it makes us people who have more integrity, more honest as individuals. In other words, this is just the opposite of being hypocritical. Put on truth. Wrap yourself around with truth. Set them apart and purify them more and more. This is truth in life that comes from character that's produced by the word of God. Yes, it's the word that produces it, but this is talking about the character God wants us to have. This touches every area of life and it is essential. Now listen, it is essential to not letting the devil get a foothold in my life or your life. Understand this. We need to be committed to the truth in every situation. This is an issue of integrity, which is consistent Christian behavior or character. Have you ever thought of what, if you said somebody was a man of integrity, what are you saying? That they are consistent, they're biblical, they're godly through and through. Okay? If an issue comes up, you know that that person needs to make a decision. You know that person well enough to say, you know what? I know where they're going to come down on this. That's because they have integrity. God says this is something we need to have. We need to be wrapped with truth. We need to be wrapped with integrity in our lives. This word truth, by the way, in verse 14, it's the Greek word aletheia. And it not only means truth in the sense of objective truth, like scripture, but it also means reality. And I take that to mean the reality that comes from the truth of God. In other words, God wants my life and your life to be real. Listen, here's the application. If I am living a hypocritical Christian life, I am opening myself up to the attacks of the devil. I'm opening myself up to where he can manipulate me and he can control areas of my life to where I am going to get sidetracked and become ineffective. Why? Because I'm not being honest. I'm living a dishonest life. I don't have integrity. It's so important to understand. David understood it in Psalm 51 in verse 6. Look at what it says. I think this is what Ephesians 6.14 is talking about. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Not just on the surface, not going through the motion. Well, I'm a good Christian. I got the right Bible. I act nice. I talk nice. I go to church and all that. You know what? You can be a spiritual disaster and do all those things. True Christianity works from the inside out. We can put on a facade, 
But true Christianity works from the inside out. God desires truth in the inward parts. And he says, listen, your life needs to be wrapped. Your character, being a person of honesty, had one of my teachers in Bible college years ago, I heard a sermon by him. And he said the most important characteristic a Christian can have is honesty. Because everything hangs on it. That's true. And I think that's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 6, verse 14. We need to be committed to the truth in every situation. And when we are, that's an issue of integrity. We're, as much as possible, we are consistent as believers. And that goes a long way. Let's move on. The next one. Then it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. One man said, it was made of rings or in the form of scales or of plates, so fastened together that they would be flexible and yet guard the body from a sword, a spear, or an arrow. Okay? The breastplate protected all the vital organs of the trunk and the, admin, uh, the abdomen, excuse me, or some people would say abdomen. I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, the ad what? The abdomen, you know. And I'll just go with abdomen. That's how I always learned it. Anyways, it's your midsection. Okay, we got that. That's what the breastplate would cover. Now, around our waist, we are wrapped with integrity. Character created Yes, through the application of the Word of God. The truth of God manifested in the life coming out as truth in character. That's the loins girt about with truth. But now we talk about the breastplate. And this is a practical righteousness in our thinking and lifestyle that grows out of our positional righteousness in Christ. I want you to see a couple verses on this. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. First, we'll talk about that positional righteousness in Christ. That's a gift. You get that the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he, God, had made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, Christ knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look up here. Here we are, and we are sinners Lost, guilty, condemned before God. If we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. We can't get to heaven with our sin. Heaven's a perfect place. We have to be sinless to get in. No sin can enter, not even a lie. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. That is why God sent his son. Jesus came into the world, the perfect lamb of God, God the son. He went to the cross. He took our sin upon himself and he made the payment. He was buried and rose from the grave. When you trust Jesus Christ the Savior, not only are your sins paid for, but God gives you, in exchange, the righteousness of God himself. If you were as righteous of God, could you live in heaven? Yes. And that's a gift. That's all part of your salvation when you trust in Christ as your Savior. But see, folks, yes, we get the righteousness of God when we trust Christ as Savior. But how is it that so many Christians, and really all of us, we're still sinners even after we get saved. I have the righteousness of God, but I'm still a sinner? Yes. But you know what God says? He says this. Listen, what I want you to do is I want you to put on, in a sense, work out 
in your life a practical righteousness. As we trust in the Lord and we obey his word, he produces in us a practical righteousness. And this practical righteousness, this godliness, it's an issue again. It's an issue of character. Look with me to Romans chapter 6. This has to do with the life we live. Now again, if you're going to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, we can't pick and choose on this. Jesus said, now he wasn't talking about going to heaven. He was talking about following the Lord in your life. He said, if any man's not willing to forsake all that he has, he can't be my disciple. It's both feet. Discipleship and putting on the armor of God go hand in hand. Romans 6, 19, it says, Paul says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members... Servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. That was before you were saved. You did that. Now that you're saved, even so now, yield your members, that's your body parts, servants to righteousness unto holiness. God has given us his righteousness positionally in light of eternity. Now what he wants us to do is yield to him, obey his word, and what he will do is he will produce in our lives a practical righteousness and holiness in life. Christ-likeness in character. See, the issue of the loins girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Now listen carefully. I want to challenge you today. Truth is inseparable from righteousness. These are attributes of God himself. There are many believers today who are selective as to what they will or will not obey in Scripture. Now, if that's you, you're neither truthful nor spiritual in your Christian life. Because a person who thinks, a Christian who thinks that way, thinks they're smarter than God is on how things should be. They're going to be selective. The fact that God says, okay, this is what I want you to do. And the fact that I say, well, I'll do that, but I'm not going to do that. What if your children did that in your family? Might say, this is not a good situation. Friends, it's not a good situation in the family of God either. God is looking for us to live lives to where we're yielded to him. We live submitted to him. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of something that needs to change in our lives, we say, yes, Lord, you're right, Lord. Lord, help me to fall in line with your word. That's the path to spiritual growth. And by the way, that's the path to getting Satan off your back. Because as long as we hold on to certain areas, those are areas of rebellion. Those are areas of dishonesty, hypocrisy. Guess what? That's where he's most at home. He'd be glad to work with us there and to help us stay comfortable in our sin. When we do this, we are saying that our reasonings are at a higher level than God's, and that is idolatry. You might say, well, who's the idol? What's the idol? Me, if that's the way I think. I'm worshiping myself. You will end up being led astray in some twisted, one-sided theology or even make one up of your own, gloating on how deep and spiritual you are. And this is a battle today within the body of Christ that is raging today. People got their little pet passages of Scripture, 
that's the only place they go. They ignore all the rest. And then when they hear somebody who teaches the whole counsel of God, they attack them as being a legalist. Do you know why? Because they don't want to submit to those areas they know they need to, but they refuse to do it. Who's being manipulated by Satan? This is serious. When we resist and we become dishonest with Scripture, when we try to justify wrongdoing, that's not putting on the belt of truth. And when we do that, we leave ourselves wide open for the devil to deceive us and to defeat us. Why? We have no belt. And we, by the way, it's the breastplate of righteousness. When we are that way, we're not being righteous. We have no breastplate. And we're leaving ourselves wide open to the attacks of Satan. Folks, this is an issue of the heart. This is not an issue of how many good things that I do today versus how many bad things that I do today. It's not an issue of numbers. It's an issue of the heart. Let's go back to Ephesians 6. It says in verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now that's an interesting term. The preparation of the gospel of peace. The word preparation means readiness with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, or that is of the gospel of peace. You might say, what do you mean by that, the readiness that comes with that? Let me show you what I believe this is getting at. Hold your place in Ephesians. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. It says in Romans 1, and then we'll be going to Romans 10 after that. In Romans 1 verse 15, it says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel, the good news, to you that are at Rome also. To the people of the city of Rome, Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel to those people. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Ready to preach the gospel. Now go with me to Romans chapter 10. Hold that thought in your mind now, ready to preach the gospel. Go with me to Romans 10 and let's look at verse 15. Remember in Ephesians 6, 15, it says in your feet shod, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Let me just give you a couple uh, smaller points on this. First one is this. The only message that brings peace is the gospel of peace, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace. That's the only message that brings peace. It is amazing to me that when a person gets the gospel straight, and they are secure in their own salvation, all of a sudden that person gets motivated to share the gospel. I've seen this happen over and over and over. People not sure of their salvation, whether they had it or not, I don't know. They don't even know many times. But they get the gospel straight, and they see it, and they see They're secure in Christ because they trusted Christ and they have eternal life and God will never leave them. He'll never forsake them. And all of a sudden, they are motivated now to share this good news with other people. Why? Because they believe the true gospel 
and it produced peace in their life. And now they're ready to go into battle. Their feet are shod with the preparation, the readiness of the gospel. It's an exciting thing, folks, to see this. See, they're ready because they actually believe now it's good news. I don't know how a Calvinist can even share the gospel. They can't even go around, if they're honest to their theology, they can't even go around to somebody, honestly, look them in the face and say, God loves you. Jesus died for you. As a matter of fact, some of them will go as far as to say, don't tell people Jesus died for them. You don't know that. Because Calvinism believes in limited atonement. In other words, Jesus only died for those who will believe. He didn't die for everybody. Do you believe anybody could believe such a thing? I guess if you spend enough time in cemetery, you can. I mean seminary. (laughs) Nothing wrong with seminary if it's sound. But a lot of them are not sound. A lot of them are not sound. They're leading people astray. They're producing the next generation of Calvinists. That's not good news. But the gospel's good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, of whosoever, it, it refers back to the world. You don't even need no Greek to know that. You can see it in the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's all, believe, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's good news. All I have to do is believe, yes. You mean I don't have to uh, live a certain percentage of a perfect life? No, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's everlasting life. Man, I got to tell people about this. Yes. That's why it's called good news. This is so important. Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the the gospel of peace, because it brings peace to a person. Listen, folks, if you don't know or you're questioning whether you're saved or not, you have no peace. You have no peace. And the reason you don't have peace is because you're looking at the wrong thing for your salvation. You're looking at the way you live your life. And there's no peace. When you determine in your mind whether you're saved or not by looking at the way you live, it is a black hole that has no end. And you will never have the peace of God. The only way you can have peace is that it's out of your hands. And it's in the hands of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, not faith in works, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Works for salvation cannot give you this. Lordship salvation cannot give you this. After all, how many works, how faithful, how committed, how pure do you need to be to be a Christian, to know you're a Christian? Now, the Bible tells us that we need to be as righteous as God and that the moment you trust Christ, he gives you as a gift his righteousness. Therefore, you have it and you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's a one-way door, folks. Jesus said, He that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. The moment you trust Christ, you walk through the door into heaven, into eternal life. And guess what? There's no way back. Once you're in, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. That's good news. Well, I'll tell you, the night I got saved, I understood that, 
And the first thing I wanted to do is go tell people about it. That's right. That's the proper way it should be. So the only message that brings peace is the gospel of grace. But secondly, we need to be ready to share the gospel with the world around us. That's why it talks about preparation or readiness. If the gospel brings peace, then what better truth can we share with the lost world around us? Now, in light of the spiritual battle we are in for the sake of winning people to Christ, listen carefully now. We're going to conclude with this. It has been estimated that less than 10% of believers will ever lead a soul to Christ in their lifetime. Less than 10%. That means over 90% are being successfully hindered by Satan. Think about that. You can do it, okay? Don't say, well, I could never lead a person. Yes, you can. It's not in you. It's in the gospel. You make it clear and plain. Take your time going through it. Let the Holy Spirit work, and you'll be amazed what can happen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Folks, the spiritual war. I hope none of us today are here and we've been playing games with God. Okay, rationalizing evil, wicked living, hiding things, living double lives. Satan is having a field day in that kind of a life. You wrestle continually with guilt, with deceit, just the opposite of living truthful lives of integrity and living out and manifesting the righteousness of God in the life. How much better to be free that's what God wants. Acts twenty six eighteen. Here, it's the Lord is actually speaking here to Paul. This is some of the conversation that took place when Paul got saved. And in verse 18, it says, to, this is the mission that God gave Paul, same as ours, by the way, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. By the way, isn't it interesting? Jesus said the way you're saved is by faith in him. Sounds a lot like John six forty seven, where he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Believe. Believe there is the verb form of the word faith which is the noun that we see in Acts 26. Let me say today, if you happen to be here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you're visiting today. It's not an accident you showed up today. You needed to hear what you've heard. I want to challenge you, though, today. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Will you trust in Him? He is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. There's no religion. Listen, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Please trust in him. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.